WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 146, all about the Silmarillion, chapter 7 of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor, being the 146th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time, and right now I am reading The Silmarillion, so you don't have to. Today I'm joined by Reverend Tom Emanuel. Welcome! Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. Your name has come up, I think, by a previous guest or two, actually, talking about, um, in context of like Tolkien Twitter side of things. Um, I see you active on there a lot. And it's always really nice to have someone who, uh, you know, is a, a, to- a Tolkien expert, a Tolkien scholar. And of course, you're also coming in with a, uh, a religious mindset as well. But you're also very open minded and you come at it um, through a really great lens that I, I don't personally like to interact with people who are not like that, you know, so we're all about bringing positivity and openness to Tolkien. And that's what I love so much about um, you and how you approach it. In particular, I saw that there was a series you were doing called uh, Queer and Back Again. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And listeners, maybe we'll have him on again in the future just for like a bonus discussion about that. But um, yeah, anyway, I've rambled a lot. But yeah, I'm glad you're on. Hi. <laughs> oh, delighted to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that a, a positive reputation precedes me. And, uh, you know, my goal with with Tolkien and with religion is always to make space for more interpretations, more people to find themselves in the text. So it's really a a delight to be with you and your listeners today. Awesome. Why don't you tell me and the listeners a little bit about how you got introduced to Tolkien and into Lord of the Rings, whether that was through the movies or through the book or maybe it was through The Hobbit. What was that like? So I first encountered Tolkien long before I can even remember. Uh, My father read The Hobbit to me when I was uh, a very, very small child. And one of my earliest memories, uh, well, there are two of them, actually. One of them is him reading it aloud to me in bed uh, for what must have been the second or third time at that point. And then the other early memory is watching the classic 1977 Rankin-Bass animated version of The Hobbit. Oh, love it, yes. Songs and all. So my first introduction to the world of Tolkien came very early. I read The Lord of the Rings uh, when I was 10 years old. The very year, actually, that the Fellowship of the Ring film, Peter Jackson's film, came out. And I had no idea a film was being made when I finally sat down and read uh, Lord of the Rings all the way through. I, I love them that when that happens, when you're reading a book and then you find out it's being turned into a, you know, a Netflix series or a movie and you're like, yes, I got in on it before it was you know, capitalized on or something. (laughs) Yeah, I'm truly one of the last book firsters uh, in terms of The Lord of the Rings. And being a a precocious 10-year-old, I just sat down immediately. I finished The Return of the King, read through all the appendices, and then plumped down and read The Silmarillion all at a go. Uh, So I've uh, I've been living with The Silmarillion for more than 20 years as well. That's really awesome. And um, how did you just start di- decide to what am I what are the words coming out of my mouth? How did you decide to start diving into it through the lens with which you're discussing it with um, um, in context to I mean, you were saying before we were recording, like, I would love to come on and talk about, you know, gay hobbits and stuff. So um, <laughs> be, you know, being 
a man of religion, you know, too. Um, what was all of that, like, combining all of these different facets of your brain, I guess, and, like, through, it, like, funnels through Lord of the Rings and Tolkien? Sure. So in terms of coming to progressive Christianity, I'm a minister in the United Church of Christ. Actually, the works of Tolkien were really instrumental, not because they convinced me that uh, Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, and one does not come to the Father except through him. Uh, Tolkien is much more open-ended than that, I think, uh, to the extent that Christianity shows up in his works, but rather by teaching me the importance and power of stories. I can't imagine my appreciation for myth and for uh, mythological stories without The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, all the ancillary material. So it was, in some ways, my, my door into uh, religion, into my religious tradition. And the more time I spent reading and studying theology, the more time I spent digging into the textual history of The Lord of the Rings. I was, again, weird kid, read the entire history of Middle-earth, 12 books, before the age of 18, uh, and as I found opportunities to write about Tolkien in, in graduate school and to publish and to go to conferences and all sorts of things, I found that my love of a progressive religious perspective, uh, a perspective that makes space for LGBTQ people, that makes space for multiple interpretations of the text, that focuses uh, on ecological and social justice, that there was a lot of resonance with Tolkien's work and with Tolkien's work both as writer and as implicit theologian. And so it felt to me important in the realm of Tolkien studies, you know, often uh, religious treatments of Tolkien come from a fairly orthodox and even conservative perspective. And I feel myself uh, perhaps the unofficial theologian in residence of gay Tolkien Twitter. I want to make space for people to read uh, elves, hobbits, or any other race in Middle-earth as queer as they want to, and for that to be a reading that can be supported by the text. Whether Tolkien intended it or not, that's not really my concern, but we can make those readings, and I think opening space for that uh, is, is a huge part of why I'm engaged in, in the research work that I'm doing as a Tolkien scholar. Yeah, that's all really wonderful. Um, I love how constantly through this podcast I'm coming across people who um, it it just never ceases to amaze me that this the you know Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and all of that was it's you know from such a long time ago and people are still finding new and inventive ways to discuss it and to view it through new lenses and bring new meanings to it that are increasingly personal and important and um, yeah I love that so thank you for being for for being a voice in that community that's always really important for others to find awesome. Thank you. Hey there, listeners. Just jumping in before we get things rolling to explain why I sound so terrible and icky. I have COVID. That's right. After two years, Miss Rona finally got me. So this is just a reminder that COVID still exists. It's still happening. It's still out there. So you still need to be cautious. I know that there are some mask mandates lifting. I would highly recommend continuing to wear a mask, even if there aren't any mandates. Even just going to the grocery store, continue to wear your mask. Do your due diligence to not spread germs, regardless of whether they're COVID germs. You know, it could be flu or whatever. And the other thing is that the reason I got COVID is because over Easter weekend, I was exposed by someone, a family member who thought that they just had allergies. And the pollen is so bad where I live that I didn't even, you know, think twice about that. But it turned out to be COVID and he exposed 
a whole lot of people. Luckily, I think some people are escaping that, so that's good, but I did not. So, you know, just a reminder, if you're about to go to a big gathering um, or if you just came from a big gathering, wait a few days and test after or make sure to test before you go do something, especially if there are potentially immunocompromised people there or people who are unvaccinated, like my little baby nephew. I think he's going to be okay, knock on wood. But that was really freaky. He's just a little baby with chubby cheeks. Yeah, you know, wear a mask, get tested. And remember that COVID's still out there. I am double vaxxed and boosted. And I think that's why I just have mild symptoms. I have cold symptoms and mild flu symptoms. And yeah, that's it. On with the show. Let's dive in to this week's chapter. This is chapter seven of the Silmarils and the Unrest of the Noldor. Immediately, I was like, okay, we're finally going to learn a little bit about these these gems, these jewels that are really important because they've only been like hinted at so far. And obviously, the name of the book is The Silmarillion. So I know that the Silmarils are important. So I was like, great, we're going to get more into it. But I was not prepared for like how juicy and like dramatic and gossipy this chapter is. It's really great. It's right up my alley. And just uh, last week, the guest I had on, we were talking about how we love it when Tolkien gets when these characters and these stories get messy and it's starting to get even messier this week. Right off the bat, we are learning more about Feanor. He really loves the trees of Valinor. They're really beautiful, of course. So he is kind of wondering and looking at their light and wondering how he could possibly preserve that light. He does that through the Silmarils, some gems that kind of harness this light and essence of the trees. Um, But it says in this like really dramatic fashion, it says, but not until the end shall it be known of what substance they were made. So they don't know exactly what's in them. However, it says, even in the even in the darkness of the deepest treasury, the Silmarils of their own radiance shone like the stars of Varda. And yet, as they were indeed living things, they rejoiced in light and received it and gave it back in hues more marvelous than before. So those are the Silmarils. They were created. We don't exactly know how or what's in them or... It's all a mystery, but Feanor did it. He somehow like captured the light of the trees. Is that is that a correct interpretation of what I just read there? Yeah. And it's it's interesting, of course, the way that light in Tolkien is this symbol for creativity itself, for for the divine creativity of Averu Iluvatar. Uh, but also the idea of the the light of the two trees of Valinor is this this sense of uh, he also talks about unsullied light like it's this thing that that is pure that is good that is unfallen that is untainted and that Feanor uh, creates is trying to find a way to preserve a memory of that. I like this line that it says where uh, it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that draw near, the sense that the time was coming when the two trees would be destroyed and the light would be taken out of the world. And so these become this, this last link with an ancient world of, of un, uh, undestroyed creativity and light and beauty. Yeah, yeah, I totally glossed over that. That didn't even occur to me. So yeah, speaking of like how, you know, unsullied light and it's pure, the... Exact opposite of that, we have Melkor come in, of course. 
and he lusts for the Silmarils. I'm sure uh, being a reverend and reading the Silmarillion, a lot of people joke about, you know, there's a lot of parallels and similarities between the Silmarillion and the Bible. And just like the use of the word lust, I think is very biblical. Um, And I'm sure, you know, you've also pick up on a lot of those things. But just the fact that it says Melkor lusted for the Silmarils and Melkor is also kind of like a parallel for Lucifer and just again bring in all those uh biblical touches mm-hmm. he's also I think as this chapter goes on to show a bit of a parallel for Feanor himself uh, and that they're both the most like powerful craftspeople of their order you know that that, that Melkor is the greatest Ooh, yeah, Vala, that's a good point and and Feanor is the greatest of the Noldor and so it makes sense that they got beef because they're they're both the GOAT in their respective uh, in their respective you know uh, spheres, uh, and and there's an envy. I think uh, I think the text even says later on that that Melkor is envious of Feanor and his ability to make the Silmarils. Yeah, that's a really I totally didn't even think about that too. That um and um in the previous chapter too, it mentions that both Feanor and Melkor kind of have the same the same approach to each other where. Melkor's like, I'm going to pretend I'm best friends with all of the elves and that's how I'm going to get close to them and learn their secrets and eventually, you know, undo them. And I'm going to get close to who is, you know, Feanor, who is seemingly uh, um, not an official leader yet, but one of the top ones in this group. And then Feanor is also like, I'm going to get close to Melkor and I'm going to make nice with him because it seems like he is up to something and I don't exactly trust him. And so that they are kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin almost and both have like destructive ends. Yeah, so Melkor is lusting after the Silmarils and he has been acting on this plan of his ever since he tricked Manwe and everyone else into letting him go and was like, yeah, I promise I'm really good now. Like that that's all behind me. I've changed. Sure. I've changed now. Yeah. All right, Melkor. Oh my gosh. Cool. And, you know, making friends with the Noldor and being really nice. Um, so now he's like, okay, time to move into phase two. And he starts just spreading rumors and lies and sowing deceit, essentially, among the Noldor. This was just a line of Tolkien that I was just like, that's great. I really love that. Long was he at work and slow at first and barren was his labor. But he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest. And soon he may rest from toil indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. So I love that of like the other people around him are going to be suffering the consequences of what he does. Right, right. And then it becomes not just Melkor is is the the only person acting in a way that's destructive, but that uh, through their through the deceptions that the others become agents of of destruction themselves. Feanor, perhaps uh, most obviously. Yes. The first thing Melkor does is kind of start whispering around about the reason for why the Valar brought the elves there. And he says that they brought them there because the Valar are jealous, fearing that the beauty of the Quindi and the maker's power that Iluvatar had bequeathed to them would grow too great for the Valar to govern. That's the first lie, is that these these like perfect, all-powerful demigod figures that the elves um, are all, you know, worshipping to an extent and holding in a high regard 
have lied sort of about why they were brought there. And then the next thing he kind of starts revealing. And I love this little twist because it's sort of based in the truth. The Valar, they all know, of course, we know that Iluvatar's vision also includes man and man has not yet come. We have the elves. The men are coming up next, but the elves don't know about the men and the Valar do. And Melkor knows that the men are coming and he knows that. I mean, it's not of anything volitious that the Valar have not told the elves. It's just I'm I'm assuming it just didn't occur to them to be like, hey, by the way, these men are also going to come in a couple of years or whatever. So Melkor uses that to his advantage and reveals to the elves that men are coming and that the Valar have not told them that that's come that that's happening. You know, a good lie is based in truth, right? Right. So he is now telling them, so that's the truth. And then the lie part is that um, the elves are going to start thinking that um, the men are going to grow in power or grow in favoritism over them. It says many of the Noldor believed or half believed the evil words. And that's all you need is a half belief. Right. There doesn't need to be, you don't need to take Melkor's words at face value for them to plant a seed of doubt. It reminds me of in The Hobbit when Smaug uh, tells Bilbo, you don't really believe the dwarves are actually going to give you the the treasure when you were done, or do they talk about how you're going to get it home? Um, they brought you along to use you. And of course, that doesn't, that doesn't totally, uh, Bilbo doesn't totally believe it, but it does get stuck in the back of his head and, and becomes yeah. this niggling <laughs> doubt. And that's all you need. If you give a niggling doubt long enough, uh, and it'll it'll do the work for you to your point earlier about sort of sowing lies. Yeah. And so um, I love this, too. Thus, ere the Valar were aware, the peace of Valinor was poisoned. Yeah. The like beautiful calmness and sanctity. Is that a word of Valinor is starting to fall apart um, because of Melkor. And the thing is, is that like the Valar don't even know what's going on because they think Melkor is a good guy now. They're not, I can't believe that like they didn't have someone like tailing him and like watching over him. But I guess that shows um, what trusting beings the Valar are that they were like, yeah, if Melkor says he's good, he's good. Let's, you know, move on with our lives. I think if I recall correctly, Ulmo is the one who doubts him. And Ulmo is also in, in other material Tolkien wrote the one Vala who is skeptical of bringing the elves to Valinor, uh, who mm-hmm. thinks that it make it would make sense for them to be out there in the world and involved in the wider world of Middle-earth. And so that he's always the most concerned of the Valar because of the, the vast oceans that are his domain um, with what's going on in the world outside. So it's interesting that he would also be the one among them to really mistrust Melkor the most. Yeah, and of course, um, also in that little scene, we also have Tolka standing silently kind of doing um, the the Arthur fist <laughs> meme as like, he's not he's not going to attack, but he's not happy Melkor's being let free. And he, you know, he's going to listen to Manwe because he's the king, he's the ruler, but he's like, mm, I don't know about this guy. So yeah, anyway, so Melkor, his plane is working. Everything's kind of starting to crumble. I'm reminded, all I could picture was the scene in Mean Girls where, if you're familiar with the film. Indeed. <laughs> where Regina George makes copies of the burn book pages and distributes them around the school. And then every, all like, 
everyone's just fighting and there's this one shot where she's standing like at the top of the hallway and her arms are crossed and she's just like smiling and the camera like pans out to show everyone fighting around her and she's just like so pleased with what she's done and that's all I can picture it's just Melkor and this is also not the first time in these Silmarillion episodes that I have referenced Regina George and Melkor in the same breath (laughs) look uh, what I'm hearing is that we need a high school uh, AU fanfic where uh, Melkor is is the the chief bully right the chief mean girl I think I absolutely gender flip it and just just watch chaos break loose love it and I've also I also said in the previous chapter I think in another world Feanor and Melkor would have been enemies to lovers So I can see that. I can see that. So I think that can easily fit into our yeah high school AU fanfic of the Silmarillion. And kiss. There's just oh my god. There's just it's just yeah, it's, it's great. Ripe with drama. Which yeah. So let's let's keep going. Thanor meanwhile is starting to show some kind of lust and greed of his own for the Silmarils. He wears them whenever they have a party or anything to show off, of course, or he'll keep them locked. In, uh, it says, deep chambers of his horde interion, which I think is important to note that it says a horde because earlier when we're learning about the Noldor and as they're establishing themselves here and they are discovering gems and they're making jewelry and everything, it says that they give it freely. And so now Feanor is hoarding it. And so he's not giving it freely. Yeah. And it says that Feanor began to love the Silmarils with a greedy lud or with a greedy love. And he seldom remembered now that the light within them was not his own. So he's starting to, uh, you know, be a bit too big for his own britches and uh, think a little highly of himself. And this, I think, is a really crucial note, because if we go back to the Ainulindale with with that was Melkor's exact problem was that he came to trust in his own creative powers or his own, what Tolkien would call sub-creative powers oh, yeah. to the exclusion of not just other people, but uh, he forgets his source in Eru Ilubitar. Uh, he goes looking for the secret fire, which is this energy of creativity and can't find it. And, and, and it's interesting that both Feanor and Melkor are spirits of fire. Like Melkor is the Vala of fire and there's that fire is associated with this creative impulse, but neither of them are actually Iluvatar, right? Neither of them are, are the big guns. They're not the ones who made the universe. They're just people who are in it and forget that they're not they're not the most important thing in it, right? That they're not the most powerful creators. With yeah. That. And they're mirrored exactly. Yeah. And again, just like parallel, such a parallel to, again, the Bible of like, there are a lot of bad things that happen to characters or characters. Or, or people who are punished when, you know, God has his own vision for his people and everything. But when people try to do things out of that vision or they try to play God themselves and they go against his plan or they act of, you know, and that's the whole thing that goes back to, you know, original sin that because of that, we got free will. And that's how we're able to go against God's word and everything. And so this idea that we have all these characters who are trying to be their own Iluvatar, but it ends 
badly for them um, is just so a theme that's just like really resonant in the Bible too. Certainly. And I think, I think it's important. Uh, I could crack open. I mean, we could crack open like all of those ideas yeah. of like free will and the Bible and original sin. And what does that mean? And does Satan actually appear in the book of Genesis? And, and it's complicated. Uh, but I do think your, your larger point about in, in the Bible and the biblical tradition, they call it idolatry, right? Setting up something right. as God, which isn't God. And that could be kind of this anti-pagan sentiment that you get in a lot of the Bible, but could also be like your own creative powers or your own ego or money or power or wealth or, or what have you, right? That you're setting this thing up as the ultimate when it's not actually ultimate. And that's exactly what Fanor is doing with, with himself, and then by uh, subsidiarily, the Silmarils. Right, right. Um, okay, listeners, I know some of you guys aren't, uh, you know, you're not believers or you're not uh, part of the Christian church or you're not even religious at all. So that'll be the last time I bring up the Bible in this episode. No worries. We won't harp on that in case that's something that you're like, oh, my God, shut up already. We get it. The Silmarillion has a lot of parallels with the Bible. I promise um, I'll shut up but... about it, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I brought you on to talk, but I was like, all of a sudden it occurred to me, I was like, okay, we've talked a lot about, like, maybe we'll we'll move on for this episode. But I do want to be aware that uh, not everyone has, um, you know, grown up with that knowledge or background. And so it's totally okay if you're like, what the hell are they talking about? We'll, we'll go back into the story. Absolutely. Um, but I just think it's really interesting just um, that, like, the Bible is like the number one published book in the world or something. And like, it's so like the Silmarillion or the Silmarillion is so like the Bible and like Tolkien's own background and upbringing and what that had to do with that. And again, we could probably talk for a while about that too, but um, not today. Anyway. Yeah. The next phase of Melkor's plan is to um, start kind of making things be a little bit more violent. He's like, let's go, let's go to war. Let's do it. Let's battle. Um, so the first step is setting a lie that Fingolfin, Feanor's brother, the second son of Fenway, um, the first son of his stepmother, um, is planning to usurp Fenway and overpass Feanor as the next leader. And so he's planning a coup and is going to take over. Right. And as someone who has never liked, F- Feanor has never liked Fingolfin or Finarfin. That's a very believable thing for him to like to to set him off is to be like, yeah, of course he's gonna steal my throne and power and usurp my father's throne. Like, that's exactly what he's been plotting this entire time ever since he was born. Like, whatever. And so then, kind of the final part is Melkor's like, well, maybe we should like start building an army. Maybe, maybe. We should start um, preparing for war or battle. Like, let's let's take charge of this, shall we? If only we knew someone who could make all of those things. Huh. I wonder who that could be. And Feanor's like, oh, I know. I, I got this. This is my job. Um, what's really interesting to me is that the Noldor are doing all of these, making all these creations and everything. But at this point, they haven't really gone into like swords and axes and shields and everything because there's been so much peace and happiness. And they're like, the idea for violence and taking things by force was something that Melkor had to tell them and plant in order for them to like move forward with making weapons. 
is just like a testament to how good it was in Valinor that it was never even it never even crossed their mind and like in our world today where like every country has a like billion upon billion dollar military budget the idea of there being a land that hadn't even thought about making swords seems so out of this world even, you know even in the the lord of the rings when tolkien describes the hobbit says they have swords and axes and like shields but mostly they're they're furniture they're they're in the museum or right right it's nobody actually uses them. yeah they're like antiques or whatever yeah so um feanor starts making all these things and a reminder that his so his wife Nergenel, um was the son of one of Auli's like top students. It says bitterly did Matan rue the day when he taught the husband of Nergenel all the lore of metalwork that he learned of Aule. So I love the idea that like the father-in-law is like, oh my god, I can't believe you married my daughter. <laughs> Yeah. Why did I give her away to you? Oh my gosh. Now Feanor is at last speaking openly about fighting and rebelling against the Valar and I guess taking lead and taking things for their own. Fingolfin finally brings us up to Fenway and it's like, hello, you got to do something about this. You literally named him Kuru Fenway who is called the spirit of fire. Like you kind of set him up to do all of these things, but you're the king here. You are the king and leader of our people. And you originally came here and saw the light of the Valar and everything for yourself. And that encouraged you to bring all of our people here. What happened to that original vision? Like, like honor yourself. And if you won't do it, I'll do it. Me and my brother, what's his name? Finarfin, <laughs> we'll do it. We'll stand up for ourselves. And before Fenway can even say anything, so dramatic. I love it. Feanor strode into the chamber and he was fully armed, his high helm upon his head and at his side, a mighty sword. So it is, even as I guessed, he said, my half brother would be before me with my father in this as in all other matters. Then turning upon Fingolfin, he drew his sword, crying, get thee gone and take thy due place. So dramatic. Absolutely love it. Absolute drama queen. Imagine imagine him striding, you know, through the, the streets of, of Tyrion, just like looking like he's ready to fight somebody. Like, what do the other elves think this dude was on his way to do? Right? Like, like, dude, bro, are you are you all right? I am not all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then um, uh, Fingolfin is a real cool bro because he says nothing. And he bows before Fenway and doesn't even look at Feanor and he just leaves. Feanor is like, dude, let's fight. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> he, he came there ready for a fight, obviously. So he kind of stops him and points his sword to his throat and says, this is sharper than thy tongue and kind of threatens him one last time. Fingolfin just doesn't answer him and he goes to find his brother Fenarfin. Now it's out in the open that the Noldor, are, there's infighting and Feanor is bringing violence and threats, not only like against his own people, but against his brother, against his, uh, his blood. The Valar are finally like, wait a minute, something's been happening? <laughs> I didn't realize. Sorry, we were 
busy with our mani petties or something. I don't know. It, it it really does make you question their like competence to be the sort of you know de- oh yeah deities, the angels looking over Middle Earth. Like you didn't you didn't notice all the making sword stuff. Like what were you doing, Manway? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all the Valar know at this point is that Feanor has openly threatened his brother. And his brother is bringing up these issues to his father. So they bring Feanor to council. And it is there that they find out at the truth of the matter is Melkor. Of course. Finally, I'm like, okay, good. They're finally like figuring it out, putting the pieces together, like about time. Love this. And straight away, Tolkas left the council to lay hands upon him and bring him again to judgment. So literally the moment, you know, I can just imagine it. They're in it, the the dialogue of this scene isn't written. It's just a, a, a paragraph of narration. But I can just imagine they're questioning Feanor and maybe some other people. And they're like, well, who told you, you know, they're learning about these lies that they have started to believe in these rumors. And they're like, well, who told you that? And who told you that? And who told you that? And then they're like, Melkor was the beginning of that rumor chain. Okay, I see. And Tolkas is like, all right, let's go. And doesn't even like wait for the trial, you know, doesn't wait for that to end. He's like, I know my job. I know my place in this world. (laughs) Meanwhile, for Feanor, his sentencing is banishment from Tyrion for 12 years. He leaves and Finway goes with him because Feanor is his favorite son. (laughs) And he makes his own, you know, fortress or home north of Valinor. And it says, thus the lies of Melkor were made true in seeming, though Feanor by his own deeds had brought this thing to pass. And the bitterness that Melkor had sown endured and lived still long afterwards between the sons of Fingolfin and Feanor. So I love that of like, even though we discovered like eventually Melkor was found out, he's still like his job was still accomplished. Right. And I think this is important. You see this in later stories in the Silmarillion, like Turin to Rambar, um, but this idea that uh, the the very thing you're trying to uh, uh, avoid, the very thing you're lying about or trying to avoid, you actually end up making happen. Like it's a right. self-fulfilling prophecy, right? That Melkor was lying, but then Fingolfin's back in Tyrion and ruling functionally as the king of the Noldor. And that is 100% due to Feanor's inability to like chill. Yeah, that dude doesn't have a chill bone in his body, to say the least. Not even one. Not even one. So meanwhile, Melkor um, spends his time just running around and hiding. Tolkas is continuing to chase after him, which I appreciate. I I just, I appreciate Tolkas, man. He, (laughs) you know, he, he doesn't have much to do in the story, you know, and he's not the most powerful and he's not the brightest and he's not doing the coolest thing, but like he is loyal to a T and he he knows that Melkor is no good. He's like, I won't rest until I've gotten him. Single-minded commitment to beating Melkor's ass. Yeah, love it. <laughs> Unfortunately, very sad news. It seems to the people of Valinor that the light of the trees was dimmed and the shadows of all standing things grew longer and darker in that time. Even though, you know, supposedly they had stopped Melkor from sowing this deceit and spreading these lies and rumors, 
again, like with Feyenoord, you know, the damage is kind of done. And because he is still there and running rampant in Valinor, um, his darkness, his soul is that is manifesting in the, the trees not being as bright and beautiful as they were few years go by and he is not seen again until one day he knocks on the door of Feanor, which I just think is hilarious. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just like, it's like showing up like uninvited. Hey buddy. <laughs> How's it going? So Melkor is still trying to play nice and he's like, I don't know, man. Like, I think you should maybe try this again and be the lead. Like, this is a really strong place and but how do you know that the Silmarils are going to be safe here and that's the kind of thing that sets Feanor off is he's originally talking about um I've always been your friend haven't I like I'm a good guy but as soon as he brings up the Silmarils and kind of questions their safety where Feanor has them that's what sets Feanor off and he's immediately like wait a minute and he finally sees the lust for the Silmarils in Melkor's eyes and hate overcame Feanor's fear. And I love this. And he shuts the doors of his house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers in Ea. Let it be said, uh, many things can be said about Feanor, but uh, he does not lack chutzpah. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. And I don't, it doesn't say um, if his wife came with him because it does say that he and his seven sons left Tyrion and went to their own place, but it doesn't mention if Nerdanel came with him because in the previous chapter, we kind of learned that they become estranged right. because of his actions. So maybe she chooses to stay behind. But um, I can totally picture like he slams the door, turns around and Nerdanel is there and is like, you just slammed the door in the face of like one of the like darkest, all most all powerful beings. Like, are you not afraid of the potential repercussions there and clearly he's not you know <laughs> another thing you can also say about fanor he doesn't tend to think things through entirely yes um, not his strong suit action not reflection absolutely oh 100 percent. so then finway meanwhile is inside and he's like that's not good so he sends word to manway and is like hey melkor was just here orme and tolkas go to try and find him, but it's too late. Melkor has fled and he has supposedly left Valinor, gone somewhere. It says, for a while, the two trees shone again unshadowed. And so the light returns and it feels like, you know, okay, finally, things are back to normal. Sure, we had this messy thing happen with Finway and Feanor, but hey, they're only, they've only been exiled for 12 years. They'll be back here soon. Everything's good. Um, But there is this underlying concern that they all fear. It says, as a cloud far off that looms ever higher, borne upon a slow cold wind, a doubt now marred the joy of all the dwellers in Amon, dreading they knew not what evil that yet might come. Classic cliffhanger. So I love that ominous note. It's so great of just like, yay, the lights returned, except for we have this cloud hanging over us so to speak the silmarillion's subtitle really could be just it only gets worse from here yeah (laughs) literally oh my gosh yeah we should mention the next chapter is called the darkening of valinor so i guess yeah it'll it'll get worse from there um but that's how I think it was in um, it was in The Hobbit when they stop in Rivendell and Tolkien writes that like happy 
like fun times don't make for good stories. And so like there's it's a part where the dwarves and Gandalf and Bilbo are really enjoying their time in Rivendell with the elves and they're having a great time. And they're there for like two weeks. But Tolkien explains that that would be really boring to describe them just sitting around singing and eating and having fun. So he just skips over that until something until the next thing happens. Um, And so that's why this wouldn't, you know, the Silmarillion wouldn't be as long and dense as it is if it, if, dramatic things didn't happen and if it didn't continue to get worse i mean it's it's right in the the preface actually to the edition of the silmarillion both you and i are reading uh, where tolkien is writing about sort of outlining what happens and he says so proceeding the elves have a fall before their history can become storial the idea that like stories don't happen if everything's nice uh the the bliss of iman is great but let's get to the juicy stuff right yeah and this is this is juicy just yeah just like my two favorite images from this chapter again melkor as regina george just like throwing pages of the burn book around and just being so thrilled and then fanor pushing through the, the doors and storming in just ready to fight he has shiny new helmet and sword and shield and armor and he's like let's go you can imagine him thrown down in the cafeteria right or like on the steps outside uh outside of school um again add that yeah add that into our high school au pure writes itself pure like just testosterone fueled adolescent energy here um or mean girl energy depending on you know how you want to play it. yeah what angle you're going for (laughs) yeah yeah exactly Um, Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on and discussing this chapter. Um, Like I mentioned, I would love to learn more about that lecture series, just like really just the name Queer and Back Again just sounded so interesting. And that's such an interesting topic. So hopefully maybe we can say if I didn't annoy you too much um, with my gross coughing and sniffling and maybe next time we chat I won't have COVID but um it would be great to have you on so you can share those really interesting ideas because that's something that I I don't have the knowledge to go into and so that's why I like bringing on people who do I I will always take the opportunity to uh, speak to other people about uh, uh, gay hobbits um I one of one of my favorite subjects or gay elves or queering middle earth or queering gender in middle earth or what have you i love i love to to open up space or to help open up space for people to to find themselves in it so um yes, delighted to come absolutely. back and you did not annoy me and i do hope that okay, you don't great. have COVID the next time i know yeah please um where can people find you on the internet and is there anything you want to share with our audience if there's any like projects or anything that you're working on so uh i you can find me on twitter is probably the best place to follow me at real tom t-o-m emmanuel e-m-a-n-u-e-l uh you can follow my uh, musings on on the lord of the rings and the silmarillion and and talking more generally i talk about my two adorable children occasionally and i will have some big news actually to announce there about uh, Tolkien studies and a really cool <gasps> project i'm getting to work on but i can't tell you yet Ooh, i love hearing secrets that's exciting yeah um, more to come more, more to come that sounds awesome and exciting. Yes, listeners, go follow him so that you can see those exciting announcements when they happen. That's What I'm talking About is a proud member of WBNE. If you want to learn more about the network, you can go to WBNE.org where you will find all of our shows like Late to the Party. The cover is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. 
You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash talkingaboutpod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at talkingaboutpod. You can follow me on Twitter at mcwhatsup and Instagram at mcturndownforwhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash talkingaboutpod. I am just about to send out the first round of Lord of the Rings stickers, and actually I'm sending them to all of my patrons for this first time so that you guys can see what kind of stickers are in this big pack that I got, and I had a really fun time sorting through them, and some of them are really obscure, and I'm like, is this Legolas? Is this Tariel? I don't know, but that's what I think makes it fun. So... Yeah, you can receive a sticker by going to patreon.com slash pod, And you can also become a sponsor there like Christina. Christina, thank you so much for your support of the podcast. You are one of the newer patrons to the group. And I thank you so much for joining us. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please make sure to rate and review. I saw a comment or a message somewhere that someone wasn't sure how to leave a review on Spotify. I don't think you can write a review. I think all you can do is click five stars, which you should be doing. But if you want to write a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. All that being said, do you have any parting words for the audience? I got nothing. I just, um, I've not considered making this a high school AU before and really that it, 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 I, I've learned a new interpretive lens here today. Um, so thank, thank you. Thank you for in- broadening my inference of the text. That's what I do when people like experts and scholars and very like, and, and people who really know their Tolkien stuff, they come on here and I'm like, yeah, Feanor and Melkor are enemies to lovers. And they're like, what have you, how are you in this fandom? But you're 100% correct. <laughs> but also I didn't need to think about that. And now you now and you now have, I do. now you now have, I do. so <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.